Between our first and our last breath, our life is a series of seasons. Every high and low is a season that shapes us. Before I really met Jesus, I felt that I was in a dark, lonely place. I've had a tragic life experience happen when I was 16 years old that would change my life overnight. My household was turned upside down and we lost the financial income that was supporting us. During this time, I was still in high school, but I had to get a job to help my mom support myself, my mom, and sister. Working full time, I lost out on teenage memories like senior prom and graduation. I felt that I really didn't have anyone to talk to other than my mom, and we were all were grieving and unsure how to handle the stress of everyday life, and I would continue this way for about five years. Growing up, I knew about Jesus and would go to church here and there, but he was definitely not a priority. We would attend the Easter and Christmas services, but that was about it. In May of 2020, I didn't have my own Bible. I was not living my life for and through Jesus. But in January of 2021, I started attending Rise City Church pretty faithfully. I still didn't really feel quite connected at this point, but after attending every weekend, I started to feel something in me that told me I needed to make the change. He was moving so fast and so powerful in me that it led me to sign up for baptism and publicly declare that my past is forgiven and allow me to live a new life with Christ. March 7th, 2021, I was baptized. There is simply no better or more powerful feeling in the world than going under that baptism water and coming back up as a changed human being with Christ as the foundation of your new life. Jesus has been moving in me in so many ways and brings such a joy to my everyday life. Spending time with Jesus is a normal part of my day. It's such a great feeling to know that you do always have someone you can go to for anything. Strength, encouragement, emotional support, prayer, it's all done through Jesus. Today I find so much joy in the little things in life that I may not have had before. That is all because of God and the power that He has. He has moved in me so quick and He continues to move every single day. Now my entire family is starting to come to Jesus again and as a priority, simply because of the joy that He brings to everyday life. Hey, can we give it up for Dylan and his story? That is awesome. Man, love it. Love it. Hey, just want to say welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we love that you're here. We are going through a season, a series called In This Season. We're looking at these different seasons we go through. Uh, if you got one of those uh, calendar magnets on your fridge, um, you probably looked at what today was, and you're like, oh, it's child dedication, and it says disappointment. Yeah, we screwed up, okay? So we didn't want to set the tone for the kids, you know, with that. And then if you were coming for disappointment, uh, sorry to add to it. We're doing joy. Okay, so uh, open your Bibles, turn to Philippians uh, chapter four, and here's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at this idea of what is biblical joy. So I want to give you a definition um, uh, that we're going to be working from, and, and I think it's important for us to understand, okay, what is biblical joy? Biblical joy is an internal experience of God's goodness that is outwardly expressed in the midst of all circumstances. What this means is it doesn't matter what season you're going through. You can experience the inward experience of God's goodness in your life. And, and that can start to bleed outward. You can be in a season of grief, and yet somehow you have joy in the midst of it because it's something that you're experiencing from God. But here's the thing about true joy. It, it, it has to be cultivated. It's not just an emotion you feel. It's something that has to be, uh, to be built. It's, you can't just like download joy. You have to develop it. 
And so uh, what I want to look at is, real briefly, there are four thieves of joy. These are things that can rob us from joy, and these are experiences that we all have. First is offense of others' infractions. Uh, when you are offended by what other people have said or done. And I don't want to belittle this, and I don't want to diminish it, because I'm not just saying, oh, you're easily offended, just get over it. But if if other people's actions can can offend you, if other people's behavior can offend you, you're going to be in a state of your joy constantly going up and down and being robbed by other people. Here's the second one. Uh, Anxiety over the uncontrollable. Okay, when I say anxiety, I mean fear or I just feel uncomfortable because of the circumstances around me. I, I, don't, have, um, I, I don't have control over them. And if you're, you're going to be in a constant state of anxiety and, and you're going to lose this joy. You're not going to be able to be living with joy. Third is negativity of the mind. Okay, you're always thinking about negative. You're always thinking about the, the, the downside of things, right? So like I, for me, like thankfully this is something that, like I'm a raging optimist. Like I am annoying to be around, right? So there's like the glass half empty people and any glass half empty people, you want to, okay, nobody's going to admit that. Glass half full, right? Yep, my glass half full. Okay, I'm on the other side where I'm like, oh, look at all this extra room that we have. We could put anything in this. There's all these options. This, this is amazing. It's half full and there's more potential there, okay? But, but we can have this negativity of our mind where we're always focusing on the downsides of things. And fourth, uh, a comparison to other people's circumstances. We lack contentment in our own circumstances because we're always comparing to others, okay? Now, now there, there probably are way more, way more thieves of joy, But the reason I picked these four is because these four Paul specifically addresses in his letter to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4. And here's my desire for you is, is look, I'm not so foolish to think we didn't walk into today with heavy burdens on our hearts and our minds. For some of you, this was a stressful week. For some of you, this was, this was a, a week that just, just felt burdensome. Some of you guys even coming this morning, you're like, like I got invited. They're, they're doing some kind of like, you know, Simba thing with their child. I don't know, but they just, they asked me to come. I don't want to be there. Like, why am I in church? Like, like, but here's my desire, is that for all of us, that we would be able to become people of joy, no matter our circumstances, not because joy is not dependent on what is happening around us or outside of us. Joy is dependent on the goodness of God being experienced in our life. And no matter who you are, no matter your story or your background, you can experience the goodness and grace of God. So let's look at Paul's letter to this church Uh, in Philippi, these believers in Philippi, and the important context to understand is that he is actually writing this from a prison cell. And so, but the theme he keeps coming up with over and over is joy. And and so he starts out and he's going to address a conflict. And this is what he says. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel 
Together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So what he's addressing is there's, there's apparently a conflict, okay, between these two gals. Now, like if you're going to make the Bible, like the, this is the miserable way to make the Bible. Yeah, yeah they, had this, they had this issue, and, and, but Paul's going to address it. And what he's reminding us, we need to choose joy over offense, we are so easily offended. Anger is the fundamental problem of the human life, is what Dallas Willard, brilliant theologian, said. Like, if we're constantly being offended and we're constantly angry over the things that are happening around us, have, like, have you noticed today how easily people are offended and angry? We, all of us, we now our our inward anger is just a constant reflection on what other people's decisions, other people's opinions, other people's words, other people's actions. It seems like these choices that all these other people make is constantly affecting our own life. It's just constantly. So like last week, um, Last Sunday was my birthday, and I turned 36, which is crazy. When, when I was, like, looking at it, I was like, man, like, I'm, like, legal. I'm, like, a year away from, like, legal drinking age and legal driving age combined, all right? Like, you know, I'm like that. And so we went to, you know, we went to a restaurant attached to a mall because apparently that's what you do on your birthday when you're 36. And, and so we're walking around this mall, and I was like, and, and, you know, my wife and kids were, you know, off in another store. And I was like, and I saw this clothing store. I was like, oh, man, because I hadn't been, I, I don't even think I've been a to a mall since the 90s. I didn't even know they were still around. And, and I saw the store that I was like, oh, that is where I shopped in high school, right? And so like I did, I did one of these. I don't know if you've ever done one of these in a store where you kind of, you, you, it's a clothing store. You walk in and uh, you, you walk through the doors and you just look around and you're like, oh no, oh, this is not, <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? Everybody's looking at you like you're lost, like, sir, uh, sir, because what, hap what happened? I looked at the clothes and I was like, this is what my dad wore when I was a child. Like, what is happening right now? Like, we've come full, and, and like, and I was personally offended and they were offended that I even walked in their store. Like, we've just become so easily offended. But why? Why? Because we think we are the center of the universe. That's why. We think everybody thinks like us. We think everybody should act like us. We think everybody should believe what we believe and speak the way that we speak. We think we are the center. Brand Hansen in his book, Unoffendable, which is an incredible book, he writes this, few want to hear this, but it's true, and it can be enormously helpful in life. If you're constantly being hurt, offended, or angered, you should honestly evaluate your inflamed ego. Which I was like, bro, chill, right? Like, let's just, you don't know me, Brant, okay? <clears throat> but the truth is, as followers of Jesus, forfeiting our right to anger, it makes us deny ourselves and it makes us others-centered. We begin to choose life in a different way. And so let me give you a couple just tips in this that I think are really helpful for us as we want to be a people who choose joy over offense. Um, first, you just need to lower your expectations of other people. Look, they're going to let you down. We have this theology of sin as followers of Jesus, yet when somebody actually sins, we're like, I can't believe that that happened. Um, so my wife and I, we have kids, and, and I came up with this theory that has just helped me through life. Um, it's that kids are jerks, <laughs> right? 
<laughs> I just saw a couple uh, little faces like, you're really offended, but don't take offense. Choose joy, okay, little ones? <laughs> Here's my thing. Like, they just, you notice this? Like, if any other human being came up and just started eating your food, you'd be like, what is wrong with you? But your kids do it. You're like, this is, it's Tuesday. That's what it is. This is, this is normal. I got up from the ba- from, to go to the bathroom and didn't bring my bacon with me. Of course it's going to be eat, half eaten by the time I get back. They point out your, all your physical flaws, right? Like that mole is looking weird, dad. You know, I saw a video a few weeks ago of a mom. She's asking her son, she's like, sweetie, would you love me if I got fat? And he goes, oh, mama, you are fat, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? It, like the things that they do, they, it just seriously, like two days ago, I, I, I'm, I have my headphones in, I'm listening to a podcast, and I, and I grab some food, and I'm walking by my stairs, and my son jumps out from behind the stairs, and goes, Rah! and just screams at me, and I, ju- I jump backwards, and I just, I feel some emotions within me, right? <laughs> I stayed calm, and I said, Dax, it angers me when you do that. <laughs> and he looks at me and he just, he's like, you got so scared. <laughs> and I'm like, and I constantly, it's so helpful. I look at my wife and I just say, kids are jerks, <laughs> right? Because it helps me prepare myself for their behavior. Now, it's not just my kids. Like, your kids are jerks, too. Like, they, they, they don't know. Welcome to baby, welcome, welcome to child dedication. I'm so glad you, you guys joined us. But here's the thing. Like, people, like people are going to do offensive things. People are going to say, people are going to say things that, like, and if we're constantly in a state where we're offended, then we are allowing the behavior of others to rob our joy. So can you just, like, lower your expectations of other people? I think this is incredibly helpful for us to understand, but we also, and this is ultimately what Paul's getting at here, is we need to raise our eyes to Jesus. We need to raise them towards Jesus. What does he say? He says, rejoice in the Lord, always. And I'm going to say it again, rejoice. We constantly are looking at the bad behavior of people around us. Not our, we don't look in the mirror at our own bad behavior. We look at everybody else's. But what we need to do is we need to look at the grace and the beauty and the majesty and the love of Jesus. We actually, this quarrel between these two gals, we don't actually know what it's about. We don't have any context to it. We don't know. But we know that Paul says, no, no, no. Push that aside and be united in the gospel. Be united in your love for Jesus. And even more, be united in his love for you. Theologian and pastor Charles Spurgeon, he talks about this and he says, people who are very happy, especially those who are very happy in the Lord, are not apt either to give offense or to take offense. Their minds are so sweetly occupied with higher things that they're not easily distracted by the little troubles which naturally arise among such imperfect creatures as we are. Joy in the Lord is the cure for all discord. And Amen to that. It's beautiful. It's this reminder that that is where we need to fix our eyes. Here's the second thing, is we need to choose surrender over control. Uh, rather than being controlled by our anxiety and fear over this, these circumstances that around us that we cannot control, we need to uh, cultivate the practice of bringing our fears to the one who can actually do something about it. Paul continues on in verse four. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Like, pray to him. Say, this is a burden on my heart. Like, I'm feeling overwhelmed and stressed by this. And here's the promise. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, that his peace will come upon us. See, what drives anxiety and fear is the things around us that we can't control. And we begin to experience anxiety over control, these uncontrolled circumstances in two areas. First is the heart, and second is the mind, okay? Um, and, and honestly, like, we could probably split most of this room into two categories. You are thinkers or you are feelers, right? So, like, just, just think about what kind of books you choose. Like, are you a thinker? And you're like, I want a, you know, I want a biography or I want rich dad, poor dad, or, like, I want a, you know, leadership strategy. Or are you a feeler? You're like, like give me the novels. Like, make me feel some emotions. Like, that, that's what I want. You think about conversations. Like, uh, you, you talk to a feeler. I love talking to feelers because they empathize with you, Right? You, you share what's going on, and they're like, have this compassion. But I also like talking to thinkers. Why do I like talking to thinkers? Because they help me solve the problem, right? Okay, and that's sometimes our conflict in marriages. You approach, and you're like, I need a feeler right now. And you married a thinker, right? Okay, so be, like, how many, guys, how many guys are feelers? Be honest, like, you're a feeler in this room, yeah? Okay, and how many guys are thinkers you know, in this room, okay? And how many guys will not raise your hand no matter what I ask? You're like... <laughs> Like, I just am show, I'm showing up. Like, and somehow, like, feelers marry thinkers, and there's constantly conflict. But here's what I need you to see and to understand, and, and what this passage is even helping to remind us, is that anxiety attacks us differently depending on whether we are a thinker or a feeler. But it attacks both of us. It comes after us in different ways. Like, we feel the anxiety. We experience it. Or as we think about what's happening, like, uh, can I just remind you, there's a lot of things you cannot control. Like, you cannot control what happens in the stock market this year. You cannot control how your family is going to treat you over the coming weeks during the holidays, what experiences, what's going what's to happen. You cannot control how the government dictates school or work. Like, I'm sorry, you don't have control over that. Uh, you cannot control how your employer pays you or, or makes you uh, work, or where they make you work. And what I want you to notice is we're allowing these things that are outside of our control to dictate whether or not we have a life filled with joy. And you're going to constantly be robbed of joy if you're allowing the things outside of you and around you. See, here's what you do have. You may not have control over those things, but you have access to a God who controls all things in his hands. One who can give you peace that surpasses all knowledge and all understanding. And so to be a people marked by joy and peace rather than anxiety and fear, we need to bring our fears to our Father, the only one who can do something about it. Part of the reason you feel so anxious and, and worried and stressed and lack of joy is because you think it all rides on your shoulders. And that, that's not always the worst thing. Like, I think it's good when we take responsibility. But when we are people who think it all rides on our shoulders, we're missing something. Uh, a few years ago, my dad and I were up at my, mother, my mother-in-law's house, and she has this like massive garage that was, ha, has just been 
packed to the brim for, for about 15 years and uh, has just wanted it cleared out. And so we went and we're going to, okay, we're going to help you sort through all this stuff. And so she had a neighbor who had a dump trailer, okay? And it's like a, it's a powered dump trailer. And it's, it's one of these, it has like a gate on the back and then you can press a button and, you know, it, it, it lifts and it just slides all the junk you fill it with. So, like, like, my dad and I, we get this and we're like, this is kind of a fun gadget. Like, we are going to fill this dump trailer, like, to all its glory, right? So, we're going through, I mean, we're putting, like, old, like, TVs and, bo- like, bookshelves and, like, weed whackers and, like, what anything you could ever imagine. We're, we're just cramming into this dump trailer. And then we drive to the dump and then there's two lines when you get to the dump. There's one line for dump trailers, and you have a powered dump trailer. You can go in this short little line, back your trailer up, and then there's another line for all the peons and peasants, you know, <laughs> who, who have to empty their garbage little by little, one at a time. And so we're in the, we're in the dump trailer line, and we're like, this is glorious, right? Uh, just looking down upon, you know, all the peons in the other line. And, and we back up, and, uh, you know, we press the button, and it's just going. And it's funny because, like, the stuff's not sliding out. But we're just, like, keep going. And we get to the, the top. Like, it doesn't go all the way it go to the top. And we realize, like, oh, yeah, that gate at the bottom? <laughs> we, should, uh, we should unlock that. So we're kind of just, <laughs> oh, this is funny. Let's open the gate, you know, and then, like, okay, here we go. We used all the battery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The dude starts yelling at us. He's like, hey, go to the other line. <laughs> we drive around, and in our shame, something that should have taken 30 seconds, we then open the gate on the other side, and one by one, all these things were just cursing my mother-in-law the whole time. Why do, you, why do you have all this stuff, you know? Just like, what is wrong with us? Like, but here's, like, here's the thing. Like, this is how we handle the junk in our lives. Like, we have all the power at our fingertips. We have access to a father who loves us, yet we say, no, 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 I got this. I, no, I'll take care of this. We need to be a people who actually say, what does it mean to come to the Father? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And what is it? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We need to bring our troubles, our fears, our anxieties to our Father and his peace will guard both our hearts and our minds. And thirdly, Paul talks about this idea that we need to choose the beautiful over the blah. And I really enjoyed writing that as a, <laughs> as a section title. Because much of the battle for joy, it's actually in our minds. Like, okay, we don't have control over our circumstance, but we do have say over what we focus on in the midst of our circumstance. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
Set your mind on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. We have become a world that focuses on what's broken, that focuses on what divides us, that focuses on um, where other people have advantages or where we've been wrongly, unjustly hurt. And I just need you to know, like what you see, read, and hear in the media all day long, it's a false reality meant to stir up fear and compliance. That's what it is. And we are just drinking it by the gallon and one looking around wondering why we're bitter and angry and hate-filled. See, this is why I love church. Because what you experience here in your church community, is a, it's a taste of the kingdom. It's a taste of the truer reality. Like, we've been having so many people come over the last few months, and they walk in, and they're like, man, this, like, like, this is different, you know? Like, this is, feels really different than the world around us. And at first, it's, like, almost kind of, un, like, uncomfortable, you know? You're like, I'm not used to, like, smiling at people and, like, there being joy. But, but here's my hope is that the church, it should be a taste of the kingdom to come. It should be a glimpse of the joy that we have that cannot be rattled by anything around us. It should be a place marked by truth, marked by honor, marked by justice, marked by purity, marked by loveliness and commendable action and excellence and praiseworthiness. There should be things that we celebrate. And and here's what's so incredible is, is Paul says, if you actually live this way, the first thing is the peace of God will come into our presence. But now what he says is the God of peace will be with us. That this is a place where we could experience the peace of Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing. And so like, can I just share some things we're celebrating right now? Okay, so like in a season where so many churches are figuring out how to even operate and what does it look like to gather and can we, uh, the last two weeks in a row we've had over 700 people join on Sunday between our three services. And it's like there's churches that are like, man, we don't even know if we're going to be able to open our doors, right? And we're like, like, can we, like where can we park, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and we celebrate that. Over the last three weeks, there's been over 170 children in our kids' ministry hearing the gospel, being loved on. Like these are souls that matter. They're, they're, being, they're being cared for and being told that, they, that they're valued by Jesus and they're knit together in their mother's womb, right? We've had the ability to gather and worship freely week after week. I know we like to complain about so many things, but there are so many beautiful things that we have living in a country and a place like this. There's, there's churches around the world that gather in basements of, wor- of fear of their children being taken away or their lives being persecuted, and we have that freedom. It's, it's a wonderful and beautiful thing. There's so many kids being, uh, uh, being dedicated today. Like, like uh, you'll watch the video at the end. Like, the, it's such a beautiful thing to celebrate, right? Like, 
It is literally like this, this church is following the biblical mandate of being fruitful and multiplying. Amen? Amen? Right? Some of you guys, like, yeah, some of you guys are having litters, like, two at a time, right? Like, good job, families, right? Like, we celebrate these things. Like, even this beautiful build, like, the story of this building is, re- we have no business being in this building. Like, we, we were, like, looking for a place to lease. We're like, hey, maybe like a little warehouse. And, and, and what would it look like? Because we couldn't afford anything. And we had a family come along and say, hey, you find something to buy. We'll donate a million dollars towards it, right? Yeah, that was my reaction. I peed a little bit. It was like, what? <laughs> Let's go, right? That same day. Sorry. Some of you guys are like, this is my first and last time. <laughs> Thank you for coming to Rise City Church. Pray for us. <clears throat> The same day that that donor shared that with me, like the owners of Skate World reached out to us. And we're like, hey, we're not looking to lease this, but we're looking to sell it. And we're like, we still couldn't afford it. And they're like, we want a church to be in here. We'll do whatever it takes for you to be in here. And so we got this building, and then we looked around. And I remember the night we got the keys, it was, it was Halloween night, and my wife was an owl. <laughs> and me and my kids were just... And my wife was just walking around, and I'm like, what did we do? Like, we've made a huge mistake. Like, we, a skating rink? <laughs> like, w- like, disco ball is still up, right? <laughs> and then a very generous company came along, individual in our church, and said, hey, we want to build this church for you. And basically it took nine months off work to build this building. And we would, um, we would ask, they would buy all the lumber. There's a lot of, this was a shell. There's a lot of lumber. And be like, hey, where's that invoice for the lumber? And he would look at us and be like, I think I lost it. We have no business being in this space. Yet this is a space where the surrounding neighborhood is going to come tonight. And they get to have Thanksgiving dinner this week because of the generosity of this church. There's going to be Teenagers in this community who are going to have a different Christmas because of the generosity of this church. I was sat in the meeting a couple weeks ago where, uh, where Kristen was presenting this conversation with Project 48. And somebody asked, well, well how many kids in our, our community? Um, and they said about 72 uh, that are connected to our local branch. And so we were kind of doing the math and, and calculating the, the amount of gifts. And it was going to be about $10,000. And so the question was, how many should we take? And uh, somebody without a, even hesitation said, oh, we'll take all of them because we know the generosity of this church. Like, we know, we, we get to be a church that, that, that youth come in here and are discipled and young adults are gathering and children are being raised up. Like, it is a beautiful thing. We have so much to be thankful for and to be grateful for. And what does Paul say? Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, whatever's excellent, whatever's worthy of praise, like think about those things. Get our minds off of the dark, junk, brokenness of the world around us and let's fix it on the beauty that Jesus is giving us a glimpse of. It's his kingdom. See, when we listen to the world around us, they actually use words like this. They say justice and unity and love. But here's the problem. They want all that without wanting Jesus. And wanting all that without wanting Jesus is wanting the kingdom without the king. 
And we need to be a people who surrender to the king because the king is on his throne. And this is where Paul ultimately lands, is that we need to choose contentment over comparison. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation, whatever circumstance I find myself, I can be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here, here it is. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What is the ultimate joy? It's only found in Jesus. The ultimate peace is only found in Jesus. And, and we, we get ourselves caught up comparing ourselves to the lives of others and the situations, the circumstances of others, and nothing will rob you of your joy quicker than constantly comparing yourself to others. Why am I single and she's married? Why do we struggle financially and they seem to have, be so blessed? Why are they born looking that way or talking that way and I was not? Like it, Comparison is so dangerous because it says, God, I'm not happy with where you have me or how you have made me. This is why Teddy Roosevelt said comparison is the thief of joy. But we need to be people that say, no, I can find. I know the key to finding contentment in all things, and here's what it is. Fixing my eyes on Jesus and understanding how he's made me. Brandon Manning tells this story in his book, Ruthless Trust, about this servant who would carry these two pots every day down to the stream. And one pot is perfect, and one pot is broken. It has this crack right down the middle. And he would go to the stream, and he'd fill these two pots, and he'd, he'd put them on the pole, and he'd carry them back. And by the time he would get back to his master's house, one pot was, the perfect pot was still full, and the cracked pot was, was only halfway full. And uh, the, w- this perfect pot uh, looked at this servant and said, oh, just had all this pride, and was so grateful that it could contribute. But the broken pot looked at the servant and said, I am so ashamed. Every day you walk to this stream and you walk back to your master's house and every day I only give you half full pot. And so the servant looked at this cracked pot and he said, today on the way back, I want you to just look at the flowers and enjoy them. And so he did. So on the way back, this broken pot looked down and found joy in these beautiful flowers along this path. But when it got to the, to the master's house, it was ashamed and disappointed again. He said, those flowers are beautiful, but they do nothing to speak to my brokenness. And the servant looked at that pot and said, here's what you don't understand, is there's only flowers on one side of the trail. Because I know your cracks I know that you leak. I know the flaws that you see in yourself. And so I planted seeds along the side of the path where you carry water. And for two years, you have watered those flowers every day. And so every day I'm able to 
grab flowers and put them in my master's house, and I would not be able to offer him such beauty if you weren't made exactly the way you are. It's a hard thing to feel broken and to compare ourselves. And why am I this way? And why is my life this way? But Paul tells us the key to finding peace, joy, and contentment in all circumstance. And it's finding our purpose, identity, and strength in the person and purposes of Jesus himself. You will not find joy outside of Jesus. You won't. You can find it momentarily in the beautiful things that Jesus has given us. But it says all things are made by him and for him. And that longing, that emptiness, that ache in your soul, it can only be satisfied by your maker. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, can you remind yourself of that day after day? Man, I will only find peace and joy and contentment in him. And if you are not, I just need you to hear Jesus is who you're looking for, whether you can pinpoint it or not. Jesus says this, he says in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. He's saying if you get a taste of Jesus, get rid of everything. Don't let anything hold you back from experiencing my grace, my wholeness, my goodness, my identity, my completeness, my joy. Jesus goes on, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. The only joy we can find in this life is in the person and the grace and the work of Jesus. It's not in circumstances. It's not in situations. It's not in affirmation from others. It's not in comparison. It's looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on him. And it says, with joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross on our behalf. With joy. He scorned its shame. But ultimately, you know what Jesus did? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so he is the one who rules and reigns. And so can you imagine if we began to become unoffendable people because our identity and commonality was found in the person of Jesus, man, the joy we would have. Can you imagine if we began to surrender our fears to Jesus rather than trying to scoop them out, lift them out by one by one, we actually brought them to him? Can you imagine if we began to set our minds on the beauty of Jesus and the gifts he's given us rather than all the broken, hurtful, painful things around us? And can you imagine if we began to find our joy in Jesus rather than the ever-changing circumstances around us in which we have no control over all oh, the joy that we would have? Jesus, we want to make much of you today. We thank you for the gifts you've given us in our lives. We thank you for how you've made us. For any of us who are feeling broken and cracked and insufficient today, would you remind us of your sufficiency? That you told us your power is made perfect in our weakness and that we would find joy in that. For those of us who are feeling beat down by the voice and the opinions of others, would we listen only to our maker? 
and what he has declared about us. And for those of us who are feeling just overwhelmed and drowning and anxious about our circumstance, would you teach us what it means to bring our things before you? We pray all this in your name.